Howdy, folks. Fish are friends. Fish are friends. Fish are friends. Not food. You could fly with flamingos to that old French town. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Life isn't all that grim. There was blood on the sand. Well, I can see my old buddy Mike Feedback, the technician up there in the control booth, has given me the signal to take five. Now don't go away, because we have some very special entertainment to follow. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 92 for the week of November 9th, 2008. There is big news coming out of Walt Disney World this week as Disney has reacted to the tough economy by giving guests a pair of vacation deals which could give more families the chance to visit Walt Disney World and the Disney Cruise Line. In my first segment, we're going to explore Finding Nemo the Musical as Glenn Whalen and I look at its history, story, music, and what it took to bring this Broadway-quality production to a Disney park. I'll then open up the inbox and answer more of your emails with the help of Becky Mankin. Topics include romantic spots in Walt Disney World, including where to pop the question and vow renewal ceremonies, the best steakhouse on property, questions about how to get chosen to help open up the Magic Kingdom, spending New Year's Eve in Walt Disney World, and much more. Before I end the show, I'll announce the winner of last week's Country Bear Jamboree contest, give you this week's new contest question, and give you some updates before playing your voicemails. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. In this week's Walt Disney World news, there is huge news coming from Walt Disney World for fans and guests, because how does Disney respond to a bad economy for families and their own reports of lower profits in the past quarter, a decline in movie and theme park earnings, and losses from the bankruptcy of one of Wall Street's biggest investment firms? They offer two discounts to guests, the likes of which we haven't seen in years. And to help define and discuss the details of these offers is, for the first time in the news section, Becky Mankin of Mouse Fan Travel. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This is a spectacular offer that just hit the straight. And as as you said, it's huge. Um, We haven't seen discounts like this or an offer like this since the, the 
economy problems that were happening in travel in 2001, this offer is a book four nights and get three free. And it's a package, so you do have to have tickets included. But if you book four nights in your tickets, then you get three nights and tickets free. Uh, the offer does require a minimum five-night stay, and it's valid for most travel nights from January 4th to April 4th, 2009. And then it has a little bit of a blackout break for Easter, but it picks back up on April 19th and expires in, are you ready for this, June 27th. So it covers almost six months of the, of the year, which is just unprecedented. And in addition, there's a very special magical bonus offer as well that if you travel between January 4th and March 29th, you actually get a $200 Disney gift card to boot. So we are just flabbergasted seeing this. It's really exciting. We've been spending the past um, 24 hours literally making adjustments to bookings and calling our clients and telling them uh, about the savings. And everybody's really excited about that. But it is just incredible to see Disney come forward with an offer like this. Yeah, I mean, I I don't even know where to start uh, because, (laughs) you know, the the $200 gift card in and of itself is just kind of blew me away. But it was the, the sort of icing on the cake to the four nights get three free. Now, just I know there's a lot of detail and there's obviously certain restrictions but is it only certain resorts or is it only values or only deluxe or is it sort of anything across the board it is a mixture of everything we've seen them for values for deluxes for moderates and for um, vacation club uh, villas resorts as well and I I do have to say that they do have blackout dates and some blackout dates are different for the different types of of resort categories for example um, at last check and of course these details are always fluid and changes based on ability availability but blackouts for a moderate um, I had was January 13th to the 18th a deluxe was okay during January but from May 26th to June 1st those are blacked out so it's it's going to be one of those that is a a fluid offer it's going to change with availability but it has a lot of flexibility to it and that's the thing I think is just amazing and I've got to just say I I applaud Disney so much for doing this. You know, they report earnings that are down. They understand the economy is really, you know, we're having a a tough time and it's tough for people to have that extra money to go away. So to offer something like this where you can really get so much more value for your dollar for your vacation. um, And it's again, and that's why I kind of asked if it was across the board, if it was only sort of, you know, you've got to stay concierge at Glenn Flitterian or can you stay at Pop Century? Uh, I, I think is I think it's exceptional, and I think it's going to give people who otherwise would not have had a chance to take a vacation a chance to do it next year. Yeah, and if you have the the ability to move your dates a little bit, while it might be sold out on one week, because this offer is so broad in dates, if you can be a little flexible with your dates, there's going to be no problem finding if you book early enough finding um, what you're looking for. And packages must just must be booked by December 20th, so we have uh, a good amount of time here for a, a booking date as well. I also wanted to mention too that it sounds like, and I haven't run into this yet, but I. I th- think that uh, this was one of the pieces of the offer. If you're in a market, because uh, 
one of the difficulties, of course, with the economy is what's happening in the um, in the airline industry, and that is one of the pieces that many of us are having a little bit of difficult times with, with all the the high airfares. Um, but there's a component to the offer that if you're in an AirTran market, there's some special promotional airfares available from Air AirTran as well, not direct from AirTran, but you do have to go to through Disney or through your Disney vacation planner to um, to take advantage of that. But there's just a, another layer of of the savings that are available to you if you're in a position to take advantage of it. And Becky, before I let you go, and you know, as, as you always say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Disney hasn't just come out with this offer for Walt Disney World. They've done something else too, and it it almost sounded too good to be true. But correct me if I'm wrong. This extends to the Disney Cruise Line that if you sail on a four or a seven night cruise this winter, you can go on a three night cruise to the Bahamas, a Disney cruise to the Bahamas for $99. Yeah, it's just incredible. <laughs> the offers that these guys are putting forward is is incredible. What we're talking about here is called the Paradise Twice offer. And if you book a four or seven night cruise that sails January 31st, to March 8th or March 21st to 28th, 2009, then you will receive, during the sailing, you'll receive a voucher with instructions on how you can book in the fall for a three-night cruise for $99 a person. Of course, that doesn't include the government taxes, but it's going to be just around that $99 area. You can start booking that cruise beginning April 6th through May 30th. It's a pretty intricate offer, as you can tell. But um, it is, again, another incredible value if you can take advantage of it. Um, one of the questions that we do get about this one is, if I take my husband and my three kids on on the first cruise, can I take my sister on the second? And the answer is yes. At, at least one person from the original party must travel on the second cruise, but that's pretty much all there is to it. That is awesome. That's awesome. I, I, just, I think it's, it's incredible what they're doing. I really do. Um, again, how can you turn down... I mean, for all intents and purposes, almost a free cruise afterwards. I mean, nine yeah. nine bucks plus the extra fees and, and whatnot. But compared to what it would be, and now you have something to look forward to next the fall after. You know, yeah, that next hey, fall. And, and if I if I may do just a, a quick little selfish plug here, <laughs> if you do book the four seven night cruise for the sailing dates that are in that in that realm of uh, the January to March time period, you not only get that $99 cruise, but we're also giving away a free Disney World trivia calendar for night, for uh, 2009 as well for bookings that are made in that window. So, gee, the best of both worlds. You get a Lou trivia cal- calendar and two cruises. Well, you see, now, if that doesn't just <laughs> seal the deal for everybody, uh, and I think that was D- Disney's motivation really doing it, was if, yeah. listen, you know, we know that the cruise plus the calendar will get, no, so. Exactly. But yeah, I, I, you know, four days, three nights free. You get, you know, pay for four, get three nights free. A second cruise for ninety nine dollars. Uh, again, Disney really steps up to the plate this year uh, in giving people opportunities to vacation and vacation more than once. So um, excellent. But again, there, there's a lot to this offer, and if somebody's thinking about it, you do have until December twentieth. You can go to Disney.com. You can call Disney directly. I actually recommend, especially for something like this, where there are a lot of different restrictions and blackout dates, you contact a travel agency, say like, oh, I don't know, Mouse Fan Travel, my recommended (laughs) travel provider, and obviously my friend Becky, who's been on the show so often. Her and her team will definitely be able to help you sort of wade through everything and uh, and get the most out of this. So I appreciate you coming on and talking about this and just making sure we had all the details uh, out there about it. Anytime, Lou. 
That's all the news I have this week. But again, I think this is big news. I think this is great news for us as guests who are looking to visit Walt Disney World in the next year. If you want to discuss this or any news, I invite you to come by the forums. I'll link to them in this week's show notes over at WDWRadio.com. Of course, if you have any news or rumors that you want to share, email me anytime at Lou at WDWRadio.com. Or if you want to call into the voicemail, comment on this news. You can call now toll free 888-703-2171. Back in May of 2005, we started to hear rumors that the popular Tarzan Rock Show in Disney's Animal Kingdom, Dino Land USA, was going to be closing for good and be replaced. But the big news really wasn't about that show closing, but what it was going to be replaced by. A show based on the very, very popular Disney Pixar film Finding Nemo was going to take its place, and so the debates began. And on January 17th, 2006, Tarzan made his last loined cloth appearance, and Tarzan Rocks had his final performance. But as I said, it was at that initial announcement that the speculation and concern and, yeah, sometimes even online outrage began. And that's really an important part of our journey, because we're going to take a very long look, as always, a long look, at Finding Nemo the Musical on this week's show. So I wanted to welcome back Glenn Whalen to the show He's taken a little bit of a leave from Passamaquoddy to come on and talk about the journey of Nemo and his friends and explore this wonderful show. So, Glenn, first, let me welcome you back. Lou, thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure having you. And people are saying, all right, Lou, you know, Finding Nemo opened so long ago. Why are you taking a look at it now? And we've been talking about this and other stage show and really sort of how Finding Nemo has brought almost a Broadway quality level to the show. And we thought maybe what we would do is in a series of segments on the show, take a look at some of the current and more importantly, some of the former stage shows in the parks and maybe how they tie into what Disney is doing. Absolutely. They, they've always had that. They've had history of putting on these stage musicals and each one seems to be a little bit of an experiment and they all, they always seem to learn something from it. And right now, as far as I'm concerned, Finding Nemo seems to be the culmination of all those things they've learned. And they've created a wonderful stage musical. We've come a long way since Dick Tracy's Double Diamond, Double Cross <laughs> stage show, which we're going to cover, which I am actually very excited about going yeah. back, uh, take a little way back machine trip and look at Dick Tracy and, and that whole thing. But that, yeah, that, that's a far cry from Finding Nemo. But like exactly. I said, let's also let's talk a little bit about the history and sort of how we got here and maybe the venue that Finding Nemo the musical now occupies because that, that had a number of shows before it. And like I said, Tarzan Rocks occupied this theater. It's called the Theater in the Wild. 
That was there from 1999 until 2006. Very, very popular show, about the same length as Nemo. It was a 30-minute musical adaptation of the movie. And like other shows that you've seen around, it had not just the main characters like Tarzan, Jane, and Turk, but there were singers and dancers and musicians. But like the Lion King show, you had gymnasts and inline skaters and aerialists. It was a very kind of hip update to a show, and I think one that attracted teens and tweens and, of course, the moms that loved Tarzan in that little napkin costume that he wore. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it, you, as you walked by the that, that stadium seating, the obvious attraction for that show was the Phil Collins music. You heard it everywhere you were. It didn't really relate the story in any way. It was mostly a concert of the Phil Collins music. Very enjoyable. Uh, a big, fun rock concert, so to speak. Exactly. And you made an important point, was that the theater at that point was open, if you remember. The Theater of the Wild now is closed since Nemo went in there. At the at, Before that, just like the old Lion King, it was very open. So, you, like you said, you could hear it as you walked by. Correct. And actually, to step, to step a little bit further back, when the Animal Kingdom opened, the show that was in there was Journey into the Jungle Book which was a brief, uh, had a brief stay in there, but it was also very similar in tone as they were trying to figure out how to put these stories onto the stage. It was another step in that direction. So that preceded uh, the Tarzan show. Yeah, and again, it was a very, like you said, it was very much of a progression. Um, And that show only lasted a year, April 98 to April 99. And not that the show was bad at all um, and I think obviously the the Jungle Book still had great music but it didn't I think have the energy level that they were really going for to attract people yes. with with Tarzan Rocks right exactly so let's fast forward to April 2006 Disney announces okay we're going to close the theater in thank God for the Florida summers and they're going to yeah. bring in a musical adaptation of Finding Nemo to replace Tarzan and this was going to be the first time Disney takes a non-musical animated feature, transform it into an original, a completely original musical production. And I, I will step back and take a, make a little editorial comment here. I'll admit, Glenn, I was very concerned at how Disney was going to take a non-musical and make one out of it. And plus, I felt that the movie was so good and so complete the story was so complete why try and adapt something that really had every element required to make it I hate to use a word like masterpiece but that's what it was I mean other people had concerns about where the show was going to take place did it belong in Animal Kingdom was this the right venue for it but I admittedly and I think a lot of others were were there was no music in Nemo how are they going to do it Lou I got to tell you you're speaking for a lot of people that's I believe your stance on that is exactly what most people were believing, and I was one of them myself. Uh, fortunately, after seeing the show, I think they put all of those things, all those questions to rest uh, very quickly for me. Uh, they took a risk in the bringing in the, the the composers that were creating this music. They had uh, recently had won the Tony Award for Avenue Q. Q. Uh, that's Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez. Uh, but they were originally asked to come down to do a little musical number 
for Lucky the Dinosaur. There was going to be a little Lucky the Dinosaur show, and that's what they were brought down there for. And when Disney said, no, we're not going to go in that direction, we're thinking of a Nemo show, they jumped on it. Yeah, and when I started to hear about the people that they were bringing in, my fears began to become very quickly allayed, because I do, I trust in the company, I trust what they do. There are very few sort of missteps. I mean, like they really know what they're doing, as you can see by what they're bringing in. Stitch's Great Escape notwithstanding. But when you saw that they were bringing in the Avenue Q composers and that Disney Creative Entertainment, the same ones that did Aladdin in DCA and Twice Charmed on the Disney Cruise Lines and the Golden Mickeys, which are right. awesome. Again, near Broadway quality stage shows. Sure. You got a much more of a comfort level and then when you hear the the you know Lopez and his wife talk about it, they say that yeah they wanted to to make it appeal to kids of four, five, and six years old, but they want they were taking this very seriously as if it was a Broadway show, and it wasn't going to just cater to young kids like maybe like a Pocahontas and her Forest Friends kind of show. Right. Yeah. And and they've totally done that. And fast forwarding through the whole piece, they have now created this music. Now when I turn on the movie, I have forgotten that the movie wasn't the musical. Exactly. It, it is It is so uh, – the, the music fits in so well and seems so much a part of what that show is and why it works. It explores all the elements perfectly that are in that, that movie that you actually forget that the movie was not a musical. That's exactly how I feel. When I watch the movie now, because my son is still obsessed with Finding Nemo – it felt. It feels like it belongs there, and you can almost hear it during right. some of the during some of the scenes. And we'll talk about how because the story follows just it parallels Ouch. the movie so closely. But that was really one of the challenges too. How do you take this hour and a half, two hour movie and condense it into a thirty minute show and still kind of keep that story flowing? And they did it. They focused on the 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 fact that the world is dangerous, but the, and the world is beautiful and. I mean, the story, I mean, it just, it works. And like I said, it yes. follows it almost scene by scene. Scene by scene. And there there are areas where it is obviously compressed because we have to compress it for time. But it follows the, the story arc, most importantly, beautifully. And in some areas, it is able to explore that story arc in a much more touching, a much more heartfelt way, which, which even shocked me more. There's a couple moments in it that, uh, Dory gets a couple moments that she did not get in the movie that are you can uh, you know as you focus on it you can almost you can feel a tear running down your face. Okay, so maybe I have had a tear run down my face, but that's and we'll talk <laughs> about that because I think it's a very very emotional show. And again, give credit where it's due. The director of the show, Peter Brocious, like I said, he was a Tony Award-winning director. I mean, they bring in people who are the best at what they do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the uh the costume the uh the the puppet designs were done by Michael Curry who did the puppets for The Lion King on Broadway. Which so obviously we get a lot of that same feel, but they they look gorgeous, they look unique the puppets they use. And most importantly for me, they don't ignore the puppeteer. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if there's two performers for each role. So there's the, the, the puppeteer is actually the soul 
of the puppet, and the puppet is actually just the physical existence of the puppet. So Marlin is seen as a little as a little puppet, but the soul is obviously that performer. And there are moments when the performer is is steps away from the puppet because that's what's important right now is hearing the soul speak. Right. And, and if you looked at pictures, and I, and I did beforehand, you might say, well, this is going to be distracting. You know, who am I supposed to look at? Do I look at the puppet character or do I look at the actor? But it's not. And the actors' faces, and they are actors, they really complement the puppets themselves. And yes. they act and they emote, and you can see it on their faces. And you can see it on the – it reflects – I know it sounds odd – on the puppets that they control. The puppets are very simple, but they can emote. And you realize – when you're supposed to focus on the actors, when you're supposed to focus, when it's appropriate to focus on the puppets and other times. Yes. Yeah, there's actually some, uh, especially in the Dory character, Dory actually has face-to-face conversations with her own puppet, which I th- always laugh at when she turns it and she's she's making faces at her own existence in a way. That's why I sort of separate them as, as they become a, uh, as the soul versus the existence, the physical existence. True. And the thing I like, too, about the puppets and the show and the whole performance, I mean, first of all, the stage is huge. I mean, bigger than what you'll find on a normal Broadway stage. And it's flanked on both sides by the bubbles, but they make use of the entire stage and full three dimensions. And one thing I love about this show, again, reminds me if you've seen the Aladdin show in DCA or, or Cirque du Soleil show, is that characters come out into the audience and you feel yeah. so much more deeply immersed in the show than you would as if you're just watching a stage show. Absolutely. It's, it's beyond the three the three dimensions. They come right out into the stage. There's large sections of it. When we first get introduced to the big blue world and they're releasing bubbles and there's fish running around and just things flying through the air right over the audience, you really are immersed in it. And you just have to love, like, the huge uh, Nigel, the seagull, the, the pelican that comes out of the side. Right. I mean, it's so unexpected, and it's yes. so wonderful. So, Yes, exactly. It is. Yeah, that is a huge puppet. <laughs> <laughs> and totally random, just because I'm a trivia geek fact, if you listen really carefully, and if you watch the DVD um, in the commentary, the name of the dentist... It's, it's, you know, P. Sherman, 42 all the way. His name in the movie is Philip, but for some reason in the in the stage show, his name is Pablo. Pablo, Pablo. yes. Yeah, so yeah. he's taking on a little Latin flair. In the thing. <laughs> <clears throat> but, I, I, you know, obviously, Glenn, the most important part of this and part of the reason why we're talking about it and the most memorable part of this is the music. And I am so happy, and I've said it on the show before, to admit that I was very, very, very wrong about what they were able to do. They hit this one out of the park and the show is emotional. The music is even more so and and maybe because now I have young kids of my own and and I, you know, you realize the world is scary but that day that I don't want to think about when they do have to kind of go off, you're right. It does does bring out emotions and I've seen it and guys admit it. I've seen some of you guys cry out there and it's okay. Um, But the music is fantastic. Yes, absolutely. And people are always asking, what's your favorite Disney music? And, you know, usually we're getting the uh, Baroque Hoedown or Illuminations. But I always include Finding Nemo because it's such a, it's such a intellectual 
it's a complete work. It's more no, one of the most varied things they've ever done. Uh, all, almost all elements of musical theater are represented, and just a couple of the songs are just. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, "Go with the Flow" mm-hmm. is such a a rousing song. You just can't help but wish it were ten minutes long. <laughs> I feel the exact same way. It is such an uplifting, but it. You know, there's that element of emotion that's in there. And it's so funny because if you listen to the words to the songs, you'll get dialogue right from the movie and how they're able to incorporate it. Yes. Yes. And some of the some of the songs are funny. Some of them are very, very... Um, I mean, they're sad, but, but they're emotional. You know, The Big Blue World, I think, is a great song. Yes. We Swim yes. Together. Just Keep Swimming is just so funny. And, and the way the performers... The way Dory performs this, I just love. I agree. Uh, yeah, I think I have a little crush on uh, Dory, <laughs> so so I might talk about her a little too much. But uh, yeah, the, so the the music and just the, that performance in general is so brilliant. Uh, and tying in briefly with even how they choreograph and the movement for it, there are moments when Dory and and Marlin are backing away from sharks or something like that and their movements are almost identical but his is one of fear and hers is hers is uh just she's having a blast and it's she's actually doing like vaudeville moves as she's escaping from sharks because she doesn't see the danger in it and all that is 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 right into the music as well. Her everything she approaches and her song is a vaudeville, mm-hmm. and his is one of a voice of fear that cannot cannot uh, uh, grasp how to get out of this situation. Yeah, and if you've never seen the show or if you've just watched videos online, it can't you can't get, it get the full experience without seeing it. And I'll tell you, I am not a guy that goes out and buys CDs. But when I left this show for the first time. Back when I saw the previews, even in in November or whatever, I was compelled to go out and buy the CD. And (laughs) my kids, my son, absolutely, I mean, literally was what he fell asleep to at night was he would listen to the Nemo CD. And, (laughs) you know, he listened to it there. I listened to it in my car. So it kind of gives you the breath of just how wonderful the music is and and why I think this show does so well. And, And maybe sort of, you know, starting to wrap things up, why I think it's arguably the best of the musical shows in certainly now in Walt Disney World, maybe you know, dare I say, ever. I, I for my and where I'm coming from, it certainly is. They have culminated in this. There's a lot of learning putting in putting on the Beauty and the Beast show or Hunchback, or even just little Christmas shows they put on during the 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 Christmas party, etc. There's always these little shows that they're doing, and they learn from them. This one, it seems they just went, we have to, let's let's nail this one out of the park. Let's put a lot of time into it. Let's put a lot of care into it. Let's, and and they mostly did not avoid the story, which is so important to Disney, and the heart, which is what the Pixar ele- uh, element brings into the equation. And they've capitalized on the heart uh, in a way. There's one scene when the, the whole story arc has come to fruition and Marlon now believes in his son and because of that he's rewarded with getting his son back and he is is showing his total belief in his son by letting his son try to rescue Dory and he steps forward and or 
and says, that's my dad, that's my son. They put down their, their puppets and walk away and say this thing, and you see their soul and their pride. And I got goosebumps right now. Everyone else thinks I'm a little bit insane, but uh, it's a really touching moment for me. It is. And don't make me weep on my own show, please. But you, uh, <laughs> you mentioned one word in there, which was capitalize. And that was the important thing about this, is this was not making a Finding Nemo show purely to capitalize on the franchise, purely to sell merchandise, purely to do it, or to shoehorn something in just because, hey, we've got Nemo, we've got to make it happen. This was because it just worked as a movie. And, you know, yeah, maybe Stitch, well, maybe that was a bit of a stretch, or even the Laugh Lore, okay, it's good, and, and they wanted to bring the monsters and characters in. But this, on its face, you know, when you heard about it, making a non-musical, musical, oy vey, what are they doing? But <laughs> I, I just think... It's spectacular. I think it has a, a wonderful repeatability factor. Um, it's a show that I find myself wanting to go see every time I go down, even if I'm not with my kids. And, you know, right. maybe it's because I'm a parent now, it has such, uh, it, it elicits emotions, I think, like no others. Now, look, I love Festival of the Lion King. And you want to talk about a high energy interactive. I love, love, love that show. But this appeals to me on just a different level. And it makes me wonder, Glenn, about the future. Now, there was actually years ago, uh, somebody from Walt Disney Parks and Resorts was asked about, you know, what would happen to this show? Would there be a possibility of this coming to Broadway? And she's like, well, you know, I don't know, but I would love for that to happen. Right. Is this a show that could be expanded out to be a full two, two and a half hour Broadway production? Because it's borderline Broadway now. Yeah, it's, it's definitely borderline quality. They, they could almost lift it as it is. The advantage to stretching out would be they could get rid of some of those uh, those compression elements that might make it a little awkward that you that you actually do have to recall the movie to understand what just happened. Uh, instead of saying, you know, when when Nemo actually does not succeed in clogging the filter, right now it's done off stage, and he mentions it later on. I'm sorry, I wasn't able to clog the filter. But if you were to expand it, you can include those scenes and, and an opportunity to have a very fun 10-minute scene, uh, whether and the way they did it here with, with wiring and acrobatics and puppets and everything. The, the possibilities are endless. Absolutely. And, and Disney has had great success with what they've brought to Broadway, with Beauty and the Beast, with uh, The Lion King, with, now right. with Little Mermaid and with Mary Poppins. So... This might be the next step. And people say, well, you can't have the show in Walt Disney World and on Broadway. That's not true because, remember, you have Lion King yes. there and you also have – and it's a very, very different show. Um, One other thing that's going on with the Finding Nemo musical that I think is is probably a new element and it possibly happens out in uh, the, the California Adventure with the Aladdin show as well is theater performers are extremely interested in performing this show. Which, you know, the, usually people want, want to work for Disney. They want to work for Disney. But now we have a show that people that aren't don't even aren't even fans of Disney. They want to be in Finding Nemo because the the songs and everything are so emotional that they really can can strut their stuff. This is an environment where performers can really prove their worth, and the show is built on that. It's built on these high emotions. Exactly, and, and I think it'll be fun. 
like I said, maybe to, to climb aboard the Wayback Machine and look at some of the other stage shows from years gone by that are very different, that will show the progression. Um, some that are just very, very fun. And, you know, we, we said half-jokingly, but I would love to do Dick Tracy's Double Diamond Cross and some of the other shows and other shows. Like, remember, there was the Here Come the Muppet shows. Believe it or not, kids, there was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle show. There was an Ace Ventura Pet Detective live in action. So... It, it certainly run the gamut before we got, got up to where we are now with Finding Nemo. Absolutely. Goosebumps had a show as well. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, I think we could have a lot of fun with this. And Glenn Whalen, uh, on leave from Passamaquoddy, I appreciate you taking the time to, to leave your quaint little fishing village and come and join me on the show once again. It was certainly a pleasure, and I look forward to talking to you again. Wait, there's something I forgot to do. Love you, Dad. I love you too, son. Now go have an adventure! Time once again to open up the email bag and answer some more of your questions. And back again to join me this week is Becky Mankin, owner of MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, live from the WDW Radio Show Satellite Studios in the great state of Washington. Becky, welcome back. Thanks, Lou. It's great to be back again. Great to have you here. And I'm going to uh, I'm going to dispense with all the pleasantries and get right into it because we've got a lot to cover. And I know that this uh, email section is going to come to a screeching halt as soon as the mention of food is brought up. So food. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get right into it, I'm sure. And now watch, the first question is going to be about food. Uh, it says, hey, Lou, I'm a new listener to the podcast, and I love it. And I have one question. My fiance and I are getting married in October 2009. We are very regular Disneylanders. We have premium annual passes. And for our honeymoon, we decided to go on an eight-night, seven-day trip to the Walt Disney World Resort. We just booked a room at Port Orleans French Quarter, editorial, one of my favorites. And my question is, what tips and tricks should we know about Walt Disney World and what should we be sure not to miss? That could take up like 20 hours of a podcast right there. But you say that we're planning at least one day at all the parks and possibly two for Epcot and the Magic Kingdom. Love the podcast. That comes from Summer and Fiance. I just threw the end fiance in there. So yeah, wow, what not to miss? How how long do we have for this segment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the one thing that they didn't say is that they'd ever been to Disney World before. So I, I guess that kind of also throws another wrench into the system. I know. 
I know, but the thing, the first thing I thought of, because again, you know, trying to talk about every park, every resort, what to do. I mean, we could talk about what to do at Port Orleans by <laughs> itself, but I thought about the time of year, um, the fact that they were going in October, and I think it's an excellent time to go because there's so much good stuff going on. You've got the Halloween party. Oh, look, here it is. And food, <laughs> food and wine. And wine. <laughs> <laughs> food and wine is going on from the end of September to early November. Two things that I think, especially if you've never been before, you have got to got to do food and wine probably at least more than once or twice. Oh, I totally agree. That's a great time to go. The weather is nice and calm. And of course, all the all the special celebrations that are happening. Of course, if you've never been to Walt Disney World before, and I do kind of just want to throw this out, especially if you're big Disneylanders, us, us West Coast people like to um, compare. So a good thing to do is spend some time to experience the attractions that aren't in Disneyland. So like make sure to do the Rock and Roller Coaster, Everest, and so forth. And of course, my personal favorite, when you have people from that have been to World that come over to land, is experiencing um, the differences like the differences of experiencing Space Mountain or Pirates of the, uh, the Caribbean or even Tower of Terror, um, then you can get into those great which one is better debates that we seem to always get into. Yeah, and, and fortunately you're going for a relatively long period of time. You're going for seven days, eight nights, and you're going to need it, uh, especially if you've never been before. And I always talk about the Disneylanders coming to Walt Disney World because you are going to be... Um, impressed and possibly blown away by the size and scope of the resort. It's not like you can walk across the street to DCA. You've got to take monorails and buses and water taxis. And I think that's a good thing because I think there's so much of the resort to enjoy and explore. Absolutely. And another thing that I'm thinking about as well is that at Walt Disney World, you were really immersed in the story everywhere you turn. And so you walk into a resort and there's a story. You walk into a restaurant, there's a story. So you really do have a, a lot of great opportunity to um, touch the magic, so to speak, by just exploring the resorts. I remember on my honeymoon with Chris, we spent half a day just exploring the resorts when we were there for the first time. So that's a, another thing to uh, carve out some time to do. And I think for French Quarter is a great choice for your honeymoon. Uh, I think you get a lot, especially for your money there. And, and I'm going to do a full segment all about the, the Port Orleans resorts because I enjoy them so much. But it's very small. It's very intimate. It's very well themed. There's a wonderful pool um, there's a nice hot tub there. You've got the Sasagula River. You can take carriage rides, water taxis. You can go right to downtown Disney. Uh, there's so much that I really, really enjoy uh, about that resort that you can sort of wander and explore as well. So, Absolutely. Um, Great choice. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely. So enjoy. And if you have any more specific questions, by all means, especially if it's about food, you have to email <laughs> me again. So uh, the next question says, hey, Lou, I really enjoy listening to the podcast. Please keep up the great work. I'm taking my girlfriend to Walt Disney World in January for the Walt Disney World Marathon. In one of my many countless moments of utter stupidity, I signed up for the Goofy Challenge. Wow. <laughs> you know a little Congratulations. bit about that. Congratulations. Yeah. And during our stay, I'd like to pop the question. I hope she's not listening. However, since you have, since, oh, since, no, since I have absolutely no sense of romance whatsoever, I want to ask you the following. What would you consider to be a few of the most romantic spots in Walt Disney World? And if you're going to pop the question on site, how would you do it? Oh boy, there's a story attached to that. Uh, but anyway, I want to do this right, and your help would be really appreciated. As always, thanks in advance for your thoughts. And again, keep up the great work. 
And that's Joe from City Island. And Becky, I have my own ideas about this, but I I will defer to ladies first. Well, I have a ton of ideas because we actually get involved in planning for a lot of proposals. And I have a couple of of the favorites that are out there. But I'm... You changed the name, right? It's not really from Joe, so that just in case she is a podcast listener, just to be sure. It's uh, Bob (laughs) from Oshkosh. There we go. Excellent. Um, A couple of my favorites, and it's it's, um, kind of ironic that a lot of the romantic things and the the proposals seem to happen around the Magic Kingdom and around the castle. Imagine that. But um, some of the the good tried-and-true ones that have, have gone over really well, of course, in front of the castle during wishes. She'll be distracted and you can really surprise her. Um, a- another great location is the Rose Garden during wishes. It's a little bit more private, but you still have that the magical feeling, the romance of, of the castle lit up at night. Um, a couple that are outside of the park, but in the same general area is on the beach at the Polynesian Resort. That's one of my favorite locations for a nice, private, quiet location. Right. Um, or even in the lobby at the Grand Floridian on the staircase. Uh, I actually have, have seen one of those go on, and it, it really is kind of spectacular. If you have a little bit of a budget to work with, a couple of other great ideas that I um, have seen and have heard before, and we've arranged before, are... Um, of course, at Victorian Alberts, which is their their grand um, five star dining location, you can work it out beforehand, and Albert may actually be able to deliver the ring um, with the dessert. So that's been something that's kind of been a, a nice surprise. Or another one is to hire one of the private cruises like Breathless or the Grand One during the fireworks and, and do something special in that way. But those types of things will also kind of give away the. Um, uh, the, of what's coming if you're doing something on more of a grand scale as well. So a lot of it depends on if you're trying to surprise her, catch her off guard, or do something really ultra-romantic. Yeah, and, and that's it. Uh, because there are, like you said, there's a ton of romantic places. And like you, I thought of the beach at the Polynesian. I also, I also thought about the beach over at the beach club, especially like around dusk when you get the the view across the water at the boardwalk. I, I think it's just beautiful out there. Um Maybe down by the water over at Wilderness Lodge. Again, the fireworks and the cruises and things like that. Right. Um, and over on the um, on the boardwalk, too, they've got that little gazebo that's right on the outside of um, of the ESPN area. That's a nice Oh, yeah, but totally place. talk about giving it away. Honey, can you, can you just come on and walk <laughs> to the gazebo? Yeah. That's why I, I'm not going to tell you my story about proposing in front of the castle. Let's just say it did not go well, and I blame the pink castle cake, and we'll move along from there. <laughs> That's a story for later, I can Yeah, that's a story for... what okay. anyway, um, I tried to think of some out-of-the-ordinary places, and it sounds like you've probably been there before because you're going down for the marathon and, and in your moment of, as you call it, utter stupidity, you signed up for the challenge. But I'm going to give you a couple of other creative things, either for your benefit or, or if somebody else is thinking about the same thing. Uh, you want to do something really unique, a place that you'll never think about it? Go parasailing out of, of the contemporary and do it while you're parasailing. Do Just it. Don't drop the ring. Right, drop, drop the ring, and you're. <laughs> you know what? Bring the cubic zirconia up there. Leave the real one down below, just in case. Um, the boardwalk at night, I think, is very beautiful. I think it's very romantic. Maybe taking a Surrey bike there, um, along the same lines of fireworks on the promenade during illuminations. There's some beautiful, quiet spots. Uh, you mentioned Victorian Alberts. If you don't want to really go for your lungs. And just in case she says no, you don't want to waste the money. There's also California <laughs> Grill, Tutto Italia, I think is, is beautiful, as well as the Coral Reef, um, something different. And I'm going to give you a couple of, of just very out-of-the-ordinary places. Uh, if she's a big fan, if she has favorite attractions, 
you know, at the top of the Swiss family treehouse or just before the drop on Splash Mountain or sitting on a bench on Main Street just as the music is going, the performers go by. On the Jungle Cruise, you might get a skipper that sees what you're doing or you kind of let them know, might totally get into it with you. Um, pick a favorite attraction. Again, you talk about places where you might not see it coming. Certainly any of those might be it, uh, depending on how creative you want to get um, or how romantic you need to be. But uh, I'd love to hear what you choose to do and how it turns out. And if she just says no, just blame Becky. Uh, <laughs> the next email is from Greg. He also says, hey, Lou, you're doing a great job on the show, and I love it. I love listening to you when I go on those long runs. See? Somebody else likes the long shows. Anyway, great job, man. I've been going to Disney since 2000, every year since, and I love it. My question for you is what steakhouse... Again, it's a food, food. question. I'm telling you, I didn't plan it. What steakhouse <laughs> is better, Yachtsman or Le Cellier in Epcot? I'm wow. a big steak fan. But I always wait to late, to late to make reservations. Please, Lou, help me out. You're my only hope. It's my wife's birthday when we go down in October, and I want her to take her to a nice steakhouse. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Uh, I have definitely my opinion on this, Becky, but go ahead. I, once again, I'll let you go first. I love food questions. <laughs> but my problem is I, I really like both restaurants. They get high praises, and, and I don't think you can go wrong by choosing either one. Personally, I prefer Yachtsman because basically I'm just a filet mignon kind of gal, and I like their menu variety. The the Chateaubriand for two is a really good menu option as well if you like steakhouses. Um, but I have to say that I also like Le Cellier because obviously the park location is nice, but I have to admit I'm a sucker for the maple creme brulee. Or, okay, I'll admit it, even the chocolate mousse, and that's M-O-O-S-E for those of you who haven't actually partaken. It's rolled in chocolate crumbs and has maple leaf antlers, and, you know, how can you how can you resist that? But, but between the two, they're, they're both great steakhouses that, um, that I really enjoy. It's hard to pick. I am going to agree with you, and I'm also going to disagree with you. Uh, <laughs> and I'm happy. I agree. I think far and away, I think Yachtsman is a, is a better steakhouse. Um, I, I really like the ambiance there. Um, I like everything about it from the menu selections. And there's everything from uh, New York strips to obviously filet mignons, porterhouses. It is not cheap. I, I am not going to lie to you. A porterhouse is going to run you around $44, but that's a 24-ounce steak, and that can feed like nine people um, <laughs> on its own. Uh, I, I really, really like it. And I like the location, too. Um, it's a little bit more upscale if that's really what you're looking for. If you're looking for something a little bit special... That might do it. Now, I actually put this not just ahead of La Cellier, but I put it ahead of Shula's, which is over at the Dolphin, which I actually right. think is the second best steakhouse on property. If you've ever eaten at any of the Shula's restaurants, I mean, that is an exceptional, exceptional steakhouse. Mm-hmm. So uh, we agree about Yachtsman, but I will actually bump La Cellier down just a little bit. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on on uh, Shula's if you're going to compare for the steakhouse quality. Absolutely. it's It's a great location. Yeah, and like I said, Shula's is on the ground floor of the Dolphin, um, in case you've never been there and want to give that a try, something a little bit different. So, uh, next question says, Lou, let me start out by saying how much I love your show. I've been listening since the Mouse Tunes days. Wow. And I love all the fun facts and interesting interviews you have, and God, do I love that Becky Mankin. <laughs> I threw that part in. Anyway, now okay. to my questions, and I have a few. Get ready. So, here's the situation. My boyfriend and I will be traveling to Disney from December 10th through the 14th. Mouse Fest. Mouse Fest. Just letting you know. It's my first trip during the holiday season, and I was wondering whether or not we should purchase tickets to Merry Very Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party. I'm big into fireworks, but my boyfriend is not. 
and neither of us are huge parade people. The party will change that. Plus, we live in Connecticut, so snow is no big deal. Yeah, but this snow you can eat. And are the ambience and open attractions worth the price? And just how crowded does it get? Let's stop with this one first. I am giving you a wholehearted, resounding, yes, you should go. Um, The fireworks are great. I think the parade might change your mind about parades. Uh, And for the ambiance alone and the music and the snow on Main Street and the lightings, yes, yes, yes. Huge fan of the party. Oh, yeah. And and I have to say that she said something that's kind of near and dear, dear to my heart, which is the fireworks. I'm a former pyrotech, and I share that love for fireworks. And I will go to the Christmas party show just for the fireworks show that you get there. It's just absolutely wonderful. It, it's one of those things that you have to do if you've never experienced it so that you can really um, have that Christmas in the middle of the Magic Kingdom experience um, b- between the ambiance and the music and the lighting. And I, I really... Highly recommended as well. And if you're not parade people, and if, as Lou, as you suggest, they will become parade people or they find they're not parade people, um, the parade is a good time to go and get on the rides when <laughs> the lines are a little bit lower as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and don't go to the party as a way to try and get on the rides quicker. You're going during a, a relatively slow period of time, so your wait times during the day are not going to be long Enjoy the party for what the party is, what the party has to offer, all the different special events, and we'll cover these uh, on a later show when we talk about the party in great detail. But I I really am a big fan of this as one of the hard-ticket events, just like the, the Halloween party, so... Right. One of the other things, too, I would also point out, if, if crowds are an issue for you, try to pick one of the midweek party dates because they tend to, to be a little bit less crowded than you get on the weekends. Yeah, and we'll address some of her timing issues as well, too, with the third part of her question. But she she says, also, our dates happen to coincide with Mouse Fest. I think it was fate, but that's another story. I've been dying to go for the last two years. I'm so excited to be able to make it this year. My problem is that while I'm a huge Disney fan that listens to all the podcasts and goes to all the sites, my boyfriend does not. He gads. But what Mouse Fest activities could he enjoy without getting overwhelmed? For instance, I'm sure the Mega Mouse meet would freak him out a bit, (laughs) but would he fit in at a smaller meet, say, a trivia walk? She wrote that, not me. Uh, Again, we'll stop here and answer this one. I think he should definitely come to Mouse Fest. And, And Becky, this is the beauty of the Mouse Fest week on land, is that there's something for everyone. You can come and go as you please. If you start to attend an event and it's not for you or you want to leave, you can, and it won't offend you know, the host probably too, too much, (laughs) but (laughs) what you should do is go to mousefest.org. Look at the schedule with him, you Mm -hmm. know, go day by day. See if there are things on there that not just interest you, but that might interest him. Say, I don't know, a casual gathering of fans to watch Illuminations on Saturday night, or maybe a simple (laughs) trivia contest, both with fabulous prizes. (laughs) Tell them about it, Johnny Gilbert. I just, those are just examples. Yeah, I, I I agree with that as well. The the thing that I do love about Mouse Fest is that it's not a, a structured schedule, and like you said, you can start attending something. It's a very fluid um, schedule, so you can attend one meet and then move to another, and it has a lot of diverse um, opportunities. So I think that you're going to find something that both of you are going to enjoy. And the great thing too is that ninety nine point nine percent of the meets are free, so mm-hmm. you don't have to feel that you've committed, you know, financially to have to go to anything, just kind of, you know, say, oh, look, we happen to be in the Magic Kingdom today. Let's see what's going on. Let's check it out. Let's see if it's something we want to do. And don't worry, you will, you will make him a convert yet. But let's get to yeah. the third part of her question because this one's a little bit tougher because she says last, but most importantly, 
I enjoy going to the parks commando style, and my boyfriend likes to sleep in and have a relaxing vacation. Oh my <laughs> God, the humanity. Anyway, I don't understand how he does it. Neither do I, but I've tried sleeping in, she says, but I can't contain my excitement till 10 a.m. when he decides to roll out of bed, and I hate the idea of leaving a park early when there's so many things to do. This is our fourth trip to the world together, and I still can't figure out how to bridge the gap. I'm especially concerned since I've never been down during the holidays, and I want to experience it at all. So do you have any suggestions for us? I know it's a lot, but any advice you would have would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. That's Nicole from Connecticut. Um, well, first, well, get him out of bed. That's yeah. a- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to take the opposite approach there, Lou. I was going to say the fact that he likes to sleep in is actually a little bit of a plus because he can sleep in and you can get up early and enjoy the early morning meets and do the parks a little bit commando style and then meet up with him you know, in the later morning, which that seems to help as well when you kind of have some conflicting expectations of your vacation. Um, one key is to talk about it. So you both know what to expect when you get there. And your suggestion of going to mousefest.org and looking through all of the events that are going on, kind of put a little plan together and, and agree on uh, on what your schedule is going to be. And and I will take, you know, I, I will I will defend uh, your boyfriend, Joe, whatever his name is, and say, <laughs> look, if he wants to kind of just relax a little bit, well, you know, I don't know where you're staying, but maybe get room service in one morning. Say, all right, look, Let's, let's compromise. You get up a little early, we'll have room service, we'll take it easy, and then we'll just try and get out to the parks a little bit earlier, uh, or we'll have breakfast. You know, say, hey, come on, let's get up a little bit earlier, but let's go to Chef Mickey's for breakfast. Let's do something a little different. Let's do a little fun. Um, you're you're I'm, I'm definitely trying. not the type that sleeps in, are you, Lou? <laughs> I am, listen, I never sleep at home, and I agree with Nicole, because, you know, when you're down in Disney, you are so excited you know, if my kids, if I happen to decide to take my kids on one of these trips and they want to, you know, sleep in a little, I'm like, what are you, come on, what are you, are you kidding <laughs> you? There's plenty of time to sleep on the plane back and forth. You're obviously flying down. And Nicole, listen, I, just, I'm throwing it out there. There's nothing wrong with going solo. That's all I'm going to say. And Mousefest is a great time actually to do that because you you do have a bunch of other friends that are are there and attending meet. So if he wants to sleep in and relax, you go hit the the morning breakfast meet with uh, some of the people from the boards of the podcast that you listen to. Absolutely, you are. Trust me, you are surrounded by plenty of friends while you are there. So don't you know be fearful about saying you know I'm going off on my own or, or going solo. And like you, like you said, you can meet up later on. So I'm looking forward to hopefully meeting you down there. Um, But our next question says, Lou, first off, me and my traveling companions have recently come across your radio show and we try to listen to it every week all together. We think you're so, so, oh, how nice. You think we're so, you're so informative and it's a way to keep up to date on Walt Disney World News up here in New York. I have a question first, uh, and this is a little bit of a stupid question. There's no such thing as stupid questions, but I think it's something I need to know for my trip. I'm not taking the Magical Express to the property. We're taking a car because we want to hit a grocery store. So we're renting a car. I have the directions, but one question I haven't gotten an answer to is, are there any tolls on the way to Walt Disney World? And do I have to pay to get onto property? Thanks again for all your information. Mickey from New Rochelle. Mickey, these are, and I love your name, these are excellent, (laughs) excellent questions. Absolutely. And it sounds like, though, the main reason to have a car is to get to the grocery store. And if if that really is the case and you're not looking forward to having a a car on property itself, I would first suggest that you look at going to one of the town cars instead and not renting a car because most of the major ones, uh, most of the major town car companies offer free 30-minute grocery stops and no tolls to worry about, so and a little more convenient. So if the main reason really is to have 
just to do the grocery stop, you might want to go that route. You're so smart. See, oh, that's why I have you. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, I have to admit on the flip side, I'm an SR417 junkie for any people who are know exactly what I'm talking about. I have to a note on my packing list, pack quarters. Yeah. So depending on what exit you're you're departing from off there, it's either two two or three dollars in tolls each way. So um, yeah, there have been times where I haven't had exact change on that exit that you're supposed to have exact change. And boy, that was hilarious trying to find a, you know, a nickel somewhere in a rental <laughs> so it car. Looks like so it looks like you're throwing something in. Yeah, for people who are driving though, and it's, so we do answer the question, mm-hmm. there are basically two sort of general ways to get from the airport and that's by taking either the north exit or the south exit now the north exit is going to take you to 528 and to i4 i believe and i haven't taken a long time that there are two 75 cent tolls on 528 i like you becky i am a a south exit 417 (laughs) guy uh there are two manned toll booths and it's a dollar um on the greenway and I believe there's also the one 50 cent toll at the exit. Uh, I think that's by Osceola Parkway. Mm-hmm. I love taking this route. I think it's faster. It is never, ever cra- crowded. It's a very direct, very quick quick drive. Uh, and there's, there are plenty of exits along the way if you want to stop at a grocery store or a super target or whatever it might be. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a 417 guy. Yeah, so much more convenient. But if you do rent a car and you're just trying to do the one-way, obviously, Alamo's the on-property to return. Um, but seriously, if it's all about the, the grocery store stop, look at the town cars. I'm going to throw in a, a, a little tip that I that I found out that if uh, you do rent a car from Alamo and you need to drop off your car on property, there is the Alamo Rent-A-Car by the Car Care Center by the Magic Kingdom. Of course, once you drop off your car, you say, well, how do I get back to my resort? But did you know, it's like a trivia question, did you know that you can actually drop off your Alamo Rent-A-Car right at the Swan? Yes, Lou, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did not. but And yeah. I, you know, I figured that you had to go in and there's a, a you know, the whole process you have to go through. I pulled up to valet parking. I told the guy I was an Alamo Rent-A-Car. He wrote me out a little receipt and I was done. And yeah. I, I mean, in two seconds. It's very convenient. It really is convenient. So just make sure when you rent a car, I think you have to indicate that as where you're going to be dropping it off just so you don't get hit with any sort of a, a crazy charge. So, uh, But anyway, totally off the subject. Uh, next question says, hey, Lou, and she actually did write this. I was thinking that this might be a good email for you to answer when you have Becky from Mouse Fan Travel with Woo-hoo! you. And she's probably plans like things quite a bit. Did you have your husband or something write this email? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's nice to have to. Thank you. I, I like this person already. Keep going. She says, Lou, we're in the early planning stages of our next Walt Disney World vacation, which will take place either October 2009 or January 2010. I know I'm already depressed about how far away this is. While we're there, I'd very much like for my husband and I to renew our wedding vows. We had originally considered getting married at Walt Disney World and ended up honeymooning there after a local wedding here in Washington, D.C. Can you help me figure out the best way to start planning this vow renewal? We're looking for a non-religious officiant to preside over our vow renewals in front of just a few family members, and then I'd love for us to be able to have a special celebration dinner on property. I was considering the beach at the Polynesian as a possible ceremony site, although I'd love to hear other ideas as well. Where would you recommend we go there? Would you? Where would you recommend we go from there for our dinner? Again, it'll be about eight to ten people, including our daughters, who'll be one and four at the time. Thanks so much for taking the time to answer that. And that's Allie, also known as Allie B on the forums. 
Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I have always wanted to, to do this. I mean, the Val Renewal thing, uh, long story there. We'll have to you know catch up on those long stories later. But I've always wanted to do the Val Renewal. Wanted to get married there originally, but, you know, that kind of goes out the, out the door. Um, there, there seems to be a couple of parts to this question. First, let's talk about the Val Renewal. The... Uh, the good and or bad news, however you want to look at it, is that if you want to do a, a formal vow renewal on property, you have to go through the Disney Fairy Tale Weddings Department. It's the only option for on pro- property ceremonies. And they have packages for real simple ceremonies that go f- up to 18 people in attendance. Um, the bad news on that, of course, is they start around $4,500, but they're with the locations, they would sure to be memories of a lifetime, and we've done several of, of those. Locations for that type of, um, of ceremony includes the Wedding Pavilion or Sunset Point at the Polynesian, which is what you were kind of talking about there. The um, Seabreeze Point located at uh, the Boardwalk area, and then, of course, the Wedding Gazebo at the, um, at the Yacht Club. And I think they also have something at Wilderness Lodge over on uh, on the terrace, but I'm not exactly positive about, about that. For where you're going to go for dinner from there, obviously it depends on the location that you end up with. One thing about these ceremonies is they're extremely popular. So even though it is into October 2009 or January 2010, people are already booking those dates and booking those, those locations. So um, if you end up at the poly, there's a lot of wonderful locations that you can have dinner after the fact. And um, obviously, your, if you do go through the, wedding, the fairy tale weddings department, they will help you with those group reservations as well or, or make some suggestions. But there's many options around the area. Um, one of my favorites is uh, the California Grill, which is obviously a little bit farther away than Polynesian, but it's just a, a quick monorail ride around the corner. Um, but if you time that perfectly for dinner afterwards, you can actually uh, work with them on their private rooms that overlook the, um, and you can actually walk out and watch wishes out onto the, the balcony if you're looking for something really special after your bout renewal. Yeah, I won't even bother going into the whole discussion about restaurants that I su- could suggest because the, the list oh. would just go on and on and yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. I, I And the reason that, that that one came to my mind so quickly is because we've done many of, of those um, packages up there to kind of touch the evening off with, with the wishes. But there are. There, there are so many wonderful dining locations that would fit uh, this like a tea and we a great magical way to end the end the day. And Becky, just so I'm clear, because my wife's like, oh, you know, our 10-year anniversary is coming up next year and yada, yada, yada. Um, As part of the Val Renewal package, you said you have to go through Disney. That includes, you know, more than just accommodations and tickets, right? It includes, you know, a coordinator that works with you and the efficient and flowers and and cake and things like that. I mean, there's a lot to the package that they can do and that's automatically included, right? Well, there are different collections and different packages that you can book with them. So obviously all of them have a a menu of things that can be included. Like for example, the, the ceremony that I was, the, the simple ceremony that I was talking about, that price point includes your location. It includes the officiant. Um, it also usually includes like a Um, an organist or a violinist for the ceremony, that type of thing. There's also just a whole menu of choices of options that you can add to it. Some of them are are part of it. Some of it are additional expenses. So um, kind of the sky's the limit when it comes to these these packages. 
So how much do you want to spend, Lou? <laughs> so moving on, what I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes um, to the Disney wedding site, where obviously you can go to just Disney.com and you'll, you'll find the, the link for Disney weddings there. Um, next question says, Dear Lou, and this comes from Cynthia Ryan, do you know if Disney's planning to do the Christmas show? At, she called it Bear Country Jamboree, and uh, she might be thinking of the old Disneyland version. This is actually the Country Bear Jamboree. Uh this year it was a big disappointment last year when they didn't do it Cynthia I agree with you 100% and I have possibly some bad news because as far as I know there are no plans it just reopened after a relatively long refurbishment uh, to to some very good reviews the audio is better and lighting is better and I think Becky probably what they would have done if they were going to do the overlay was hold it off a week or two to do the holiday overlay if they were planning as opposed to closing it down and then reopening again in a couple of weeks yeah I totally agree, and I actually um, talked to somebody about this not too long ago. One of my uh, one of my buddies that works over there, and they were telling me that unfortunately there are no plans this year to decorate. So I, I think it's bad news this time. Yeah, it's tough, and there's a lot of people who are sort of back and forth about the holiday overlays to some of these attractions. Some people enjoy having it different, uh, while other people who say, "Look, you know, I only get to Walt Disney World once every." three years I don't you know I, I want to go see the original show I want to go see the original Haunted Mansion I hope they don't do a Nightmare Before Christmas overlay um, and I know there were discussions that it may be getting it wasn't done last year for, for cutbacks and things like that but um, maybe if enough people ask for it or ask about it it's something that they'll bring back in the future mm-hmm. so next email says Lou I've always a great show my family's going to Walt Disney World December 6th through the 15th 2008 my five-and-a-half-year-old son's first time in the parks. Hope to meet you at Mouse Fest. Hope to meet you as well. I've seen videos online of the Welcome Show at the Magic Kingdom. They select a family to open the Magic Kingdom with the Fab Five. My question is, how, when, and where do they select the family? When does the opening show take place at the scheduled open time? Or when do they start allowing guests through the turnstiles? What about early Magic Hours days? We'd love a chance to be chosen. Any info would be appreciated. Thanks. And that's from Ted Knapp in New York. Lou. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those that I honestly, I, I have two words for you, random selection. Yeah. Um, there are, are, are a lot of, uh, of opinions or thoughts on, on what you need to do to, to catch the, the right cast member's attention to be selected, but I haven't heard of anything really solid. You? There's not. I mean, there is no magic formula. There is no special t-shirt to wear. There's no special thing to say. Uh, my best advice would be to get there early. Uh, definitely get there as far before uh, opening time and rope drop as you can. Uh, you know, look like you're awake. Get your coffee. Get your espresso at the TTC <laughs> before you head on over. Uh, you know, look happy. Look, you know, excited, energetic. Um, your, your kids are at a good age so that they would, you know, if they get selected to be part of it, it's not like they're, they're too young. Um, there's actually an article that somebody wrote who was chosen um, for a parade on my site. I'll, I'll link to it in this week's show notes. Um, and it was just obviously called How I Got to Be in a Walt Disney World Parade. And again, there, there's no sort of magic answer, but she does give some great tips um, to hopefully sort of increase your chances um, to get picked. So smile. Like Mr. Yeah. Mork used to say, smiles, everyone. Smiles. Be energetic. And obviously, like I said, get there early. <laughs> Next question says, Lou, I have a question for you about adding no expiration to a park hopper pass. You may have answered this question before, but my wife and three kids, which are three, two, and five months, are going to the world in January. We're going to be there for six nights. I've booked our ADRs, and we're staying at All-Star Movies. My question is this. We bought three 10-day park hopper passes. We went with the 10-day due to the fact that it's only slightly more than a six-day 
and we thought that we would add on the no expiration for the days that we don't use during, during our stay. I've heard conflicting things on whether or not this is possible. I thought I heard on this podcast that you could just take your pass with the unused days on it to a customer service desk and add the no expiration option for those days. Is that correct? I'm hoping that it is. It would make our trip next year much cheaper. Thanks. And that comes from John Reynolds. So basically, Becky, the question is, can you, after the fact, add on the no expiration option to a 10-day, 6-day, whatever it is, ticket? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that you have to pay for all 10 days for the no expiration that you can't add on for what you haven't used. It has to kind of be done all at the same time when you purchase the tickets. Um, obviously, you can go back and convert the value of what you have left to a new ticket and add something to it. But I don't think that you can do what he's asking about doing. But one question I have here, though, is also, did you purchase it, uh, the tickets in a package or outside of the package? Because if it's in a package, you can also convert or modify the ticket type before you travel. Um, but that may not be the case here. Uh, your experience? My understanding is yours, is that you can't on the ninth day say, hey, let's add the no expiration option to this yep. for a couple of dollars and, and get the, you know, the extra two days to use whenever. But I think, I believe that you can, you know, there is a value associated with that ticket and it obviously varies depending on the ticket and how you purchased it and everything else like that that if you take it to guest relations and say hey i want to you know i have two days left on this but i want to buy an annual pass or i want to buy a new x type of ticket they will take that value for you uh, right. and and apply it to that and i think that might be your best or possibly only way to um, to use the the days you haven't used it yet yeah, that's my understanding as well. I, I think that when, when people go and, and look at the differences of the ticket options and when you can add things and when you can try to make it cheaper, I think if you think you've found a way to beat Disney, they probably have thought of it first and, and made up a rule <laughs> around it. So they're, they're really going to try to get the value, um, the, the revenue from the value of the ticket. So I, I think that we're probably correct, unfortunately. Absolutely. And if, and if listen, if you go and, and we're incorrect, by all means, please let us know and I'll share the information with the listeners and Becky. Uh, <laughs> next email says, hey, Lou, I just discovered your show this past month and I can't even begin to describe my joy. I can't stop raving about your show to anyone with an earshot. Signed, Lou's mom. No, uh, I've, <laughs> I've even had my family members make their own list of Walt Disney World's top 10 sounds and smells. How cool. I just made plans to ring in the new year at Walt Disney World with my boyfriend. I'm a veteran Disney traveler, but I've never visited during the holiday season. Shocking, right? That's what she said, not me. I have two questions for my trip, and I was hoping you could help me. First, how concerned should I be about the crowd sizes in the parks? Should I try and avoid the parks altogether on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day? I read somewhere that the park can easily reach capacity on those days. Uh, let's take these one by one. Uh, I will tell you that you better love people because it's going to get pretty cozy on the 31st and the 1st. January 2nd, it's going to be awesome. The 31st and the 1st, uh, be prepared. Uh-huh. I-, I totally agree. It's The, the holidays are the, the top crowd-busting times that you're going to find. And if you're not happy with crowds or you don't like standing in line, a holiday is not a good time to be at a theme park. But I kind of look at it a different way. If, you, if you're going to a theme park on a holiday, it's there for the ambiance. It's there for the excitement of, of the holiday and so forth. But um, he's right about a couple of things in, in, the, uh, in, in the note here that um, it, it's very possible that the parks might reach capacity. And if you show up at the park and it's reached capacity, you're not getting in. And 
if you are counting on park hopping that day, that might be limited as well. So I think you kind of have to go in with the appropriate level of expectation if you're going to uh, visit the parks on a holiday, but it can be a wonderful experience. Yeah, and I've done it, and I actually spent Millennium New Year in Epcot, um, and I will share my experience and my my advice or tips for you. First would be get there early in the morning uh, and be prepared to spend the entire day there. I, I would absolutely not try and park hop, park hop on New Year's Eve. Uh, the parks are definitely going to reach capacity. You are not guaranteed to say, hey, I'm leaving Epcot. I want to go to the Magic Kingdom. I'm a resort guest. You are not guaranteed admission into another park. So if, once you're out, you may potentially be out. And then, I mean, there's plenty of other things to do. But if you want to spend it in the parks, definitely get there early. Be prepared to stay. To that end, I would say get there early. And the first thing you should do is not go run for a fast pass for Soren. I would go and rent a locker. And in that locker, I would put in um, either some rain ponchos, you know, get them at the dollar store, bring rain ponchos with you. And B, I'd also bring warm clothes because it does have a tendency to get cool, sometimes a little nippy at night. Um, So you can store your stuff in there. Remember, you're going to be there all day. Um, If you have anybody that has sort of medical needs, they have to have medicine stuff with them. You can put that in there as well. Um, And again, just, you know, we're getting a little bit close to it now. If you haven't made ADRs, I would definitely try and do that Mm -hmm. um, if you can even get that. Um, Be prepared for the fact that fast passes are going to go very, very quickly. So if you want to go get the locker, said the other kids to to go get the fast passes for Soren, (laughs) that might be it. Um, Divide and conquer. Absolutely. And look, be prepared for the crowds. And when I say be prepared, I mean be mentally prepared for it to be lines for everything and the fact that you might have to wait two hours if you want to get on to Soren um, but you are going to spend the whole day there so just take it leisurely it's going to be a long day a long night again I spent Millennium New Year's there uh, in World Showcase it was one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had in Walt Disney World that being said it took us three and a half hours to walk from the American Adventure Pavilion to the monorail station <laughs> wow yeah so <laughs> um you know, again, it's cozy. It's definitely yeah. cozy. So um, you, you have to like your fellow man. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot. So um, she goes on to say that I'm trying to find the perfect restaurant to have New Year's Eve dinner. I'd love to be in festive, upbeat setting with a more unique menu. Something's coming to mind right off the bat. Something upscale would be preferable. Something's definitely coming to mind right off the bat. But since we're graduate students and our budget sadly can't, sadly cannot accommodate something like Victoria and Albert's. Uh, thank you so much for all you do. And that's from Ashley. It's from Ashley W. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Becky, obviously this goes to what I just said. A lot of these things may very well be booked already, but let's talk about, I assume you're maybe on the same thought that I am about some of the New Year's Eve dinner packages. Well, it's food. Um, <laughs> well, I, you know, there, there are a lot of packages, a lot of options out there. A lot of them already will be booked up. Uh, it's it's just unfortunately a, a fact at this point because we are pretty late in the game for New Year's Eve. Um, however, uh, just for restaurants sitting aside outside of the packages, and we can touch out on that in a second, but um, some of the upbeat, festive uh, non-package pieces or things like Chico and California Grill I, I do like for an unusual um, unique menu which is kind of cool but uh, what did you have in mind because you said that something popped right into your head well when she was talking about an, uh, a festive upbeat setting with more unique items Chico was the first thing that came to mind um, yeah because you want, you want to talk about a, a unique menu even Boma yeah. um, and even Boma and Boma does have a, a buffet with some different holiday items again not that expensive it's like $31 right. $32 I think 
Um, and there are a bunch of different uh, packages. Like I said, there's there's buffets with holiday items. Boma is one. Um, I believe the Yacht Club also has something at the Yacht Club galley as well. There's also a holiday menu at places like Citrico's, which run about $62. Again, we won't even mention Victorian Alberts, which is yeah. in the $130, $180 range. Um, the Grand Floridian, I believe Olivia's, Fulton's, and the Turf Club also have holiday offerings and an a la carte menu. And if you really, if you happen to win the lottery between here, today, <laughs> and New Year's Eve, and you can get in, there are two seatings over at Narcusi's, which run about 100 to $150 uh, for the first and then the second. California Grill special knock your socks off event. Yeah. 450 <laughs> bucks each. <laughs> so if you guys want to plunk down 900 bucks, throw in tip about a grand for dinner. Um, you can Woo-hoo! join. You can, I, I'd be happy to join you. <laughs> um, I'm assuming somebody else is paying, of course, over at the California Grill. <laughs> That's got to be something spectacular, though. Uh, it, it does. From what I understand, it, it really is quite a, a sight to see. So that, that's why I threw it out there thinking, you know, I know it's probably out of that budget for the graduate students, but something to keep on the have to do someday before I die radar. You know, what would be great is if we actually recorded from the Grand Floridian, uh, from the California Grill on New Year's Eve, you and I, you pick it up this year. I, I promise <laughs> next year it's totally on me. We're doing it for the benefit of the listeners. We're oh, doing okay. it. We're doing it. It's like it. community service. <laughs> so. I'll, 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 I'll tell you what. Um, w- let's let's talk about that offline and, and see what we can do. <laughs> Take those bill for lunch on me. California Grill on you for dinner. So, all right. Yeah, you're, you're, I'm gonna get. I'll get the night of the first, and you get the night of the first. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I go for that. Oh God! All right, let's move on to to what hopefully is a non food related question. Anyway, but it's food. It's this, food. <laughs> this comes from John. He says, "Dear Lou, I'd love to thank you for all that you do for us Disney nuts. I love your show, books, and CDs, which I recently got in preparation for my family's trip to Disney World in the next week. However, I had a question about Mickey's very merry Christmas party. The first day we're going to be in the parks is one of the days that the party occurs on. I was just wondering, do they clear out the parks at seven p.m. and then let people re-enter who have tickets for it?" Or can you some way stay in the park without paying $50 for the special event? Thank you, and I look forward to hearing from you. Um, this is sort of a, a two-part question. Um, do they clear the park out at 7 o'clock and then people re-enter who have tickets? If you have a ticket to the party, you can actually get into the park at 4 o'clock. You can stay there. You can get your wristband at a number of locations, and you don't have to actually leave and come back in. Now, as far as... Staying in the park without paying for the special event, uh, I, I do not suggest trying to hide in the bushes or the <laughs> bathrooms and then come out. They do actually clear the park. They gently sort of, um, you know, ask you to, to please leave because there is a special hard ticketed event. Uh, you know, no cattle prods, no whips, but they do sort of start checking for the wristbands and ask you to sort of usher you out, at least onto Main Street. Um, you know, you can shop a little bit and take your time walking out that way. Um, you know, there's not sort of an end-all, be-all time that you have to be out, but they do sort of start getting you out around 7 o'clock. And the last question says, Hey, Lou, we're going to Walt Disney World and on the Disney Cruise next month. I've seen that if you book online, you can get 50% off the deposit on a Disney Cruise. Do you know that if you rebook while on board the Disney Cruise line, do you get the opportunity to, to only have to pay 50% deposit and still get the 10% off and room credit as well? If so, I'll just wait to rebook on board. Also, one date we're looking to rebook would be a five-night Disney Wonder Cruise for 2010. Do you think those will go fast? 
or will I be okay waiting another 45 days while on board to book this? Book this. Thanks, your friend in Phoenix, Arizona, Art Carter. Good news for Art. Um, we've been told that the onboard booking offer does include the option for the 50% off deposit. So uh, that has actually been something that a lot of people have been back and forth on, and it's it's been subject of much debate, but I have been able to confirm that you can get the 50% deposit on board along with the 10% off and the onboard credits uh, when you book on board. Um, waiting is another story, and obviously I should, I should throw out the caveat too that those are always subject to change because if you've ever noticed one of um, Disney's offers at the bottom, there's like 29 million pages of very fine print that you can barely read. All of those offers are subject to change, but waiting to book. And that's something that I get a lot questions about a lot. The key to the best rates with Disney has always been to book as far in advance as possible because Disney generally raises their rates as the ship fills. So if it's a popular date, when they release in 2008, 2010 rates are going to be lower now than they're going to be, say, a year out from the actual sailing. So as the ship fills, the the rates increase. Um, So sometimes if you're looking at, well, I'm going to sail in six months, I'll wait to book on board. I would probably say not to do that. I would book now so that you can lock in the the early booking savings now. And then when you get on board, you can compare to what you already have and uh, and play it that way. So Because sometimes if you book early enough in advance, your rate might actually be lower than if you had a 10% off in the onboard credits. If you're going next week or next month, the savings may will probably be much better if you book on board. So it, it all, it's a, little bit of a mathematics game. Um, with the release of 2010, we did see them start out much higher on the fair climbing ladder than we've seen in previous years. And we haven't really had enough time behind us yet to see how fast they're increasing. I do know that the 2010, that the five-nighters have been popular. They're not booked capacity at this point, but because, of course, they're taking the ship over to Europe again, uh, they're taking the magic over to Europe, the five-nights, there's going to be one ship, basically, to, to book over here. So you're going to want to... Um, uh, book that as soon as you know that you're going to want to go. And of course, just to throw out this little piece too, because this is a little bit of confusion confusion about onboard bookings. If you do work with a vacation planner, um, you can still book on board for the benefits and still be able to use the vacation planner again. Just be sure that when you're talking to the onboard consultant that you want to use the same travel agent on that's on record. And uh, they're supposed to send the the travel agents a, a fax confirming your your booking but when you return be sure to tell your travel agent you booked on board as well so that they can follow up just in case excellent very good wow i learned a lot on that i, I really learned a lot from that from that email <laughs> but unfortunately <laughs> thank you, unfortunately Luke. i've got so many more emails to get to and there's just not enough time um on the show we'll avoid the time jokes uh about how long my shows are but Becky uh, from MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, thank you so much for coming back on, helping out with these. Again, for more information, to get a free no-obligation quote, to find out more about your Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, or Walt Disney World, or Adventures by Disney Vacation, you can go and visit Becky and her team of wonderful agents over at MouseFanTravel.com. Thank you, Lou. It's great to be here, and thank you for having me back. Thank you. Give me a little intro there, Gomer. Well, 
it's about time. Howdy, folks. Welcome to the one and only original country band Jamboree, featuring a bit of Americana, our musical heritage of the past. But enough of this chit-chat, yak-yak, and flim-flam. Just refrain from hibernating. <laughs> and we'll all enjoy the show, because we've got a lot to give. It's time to announce the winner of last week's impromptu trivia question contest. And just to remind you, the question was... Who is the founder of the Country Bear Jamboree? And the answer is Ursus J. Bear, who, according to story, came up with the idea after an especially long and inspiring hibernation session. And if you've seen the Country Bear show, you can actually see his name and his picture framed up above the main stage. So the winner of the oh-so-very-cool Haunted Mansion playing cards, the pack of six holiday-themed antenna toppers, and Walt Disney World Trivia Page-A-Day Daily Calendar. And you know what? Just for the heck of it, I'll also throw in a WDW Radio Show shirt just to say thanks for playing is Christy Green. So, Christy, congratulations. Please send me your address, and I'll get those right out to you. Thank you to everybody that played. It seemed like a lot of you had fun with this. I did as well. Uh, So, you know what? What the heck? Let's do it one more time. Let's do it again this week. This time you'll be playing for a 2009 Walt Disney World Trivia Page-A-Day Calendar, an audio guide to Main Street USA, and why not, another WDW Radio Show t-shirt. So, let's see, we just passed Halloween, Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and Christmas prep seems to be in full gear everywhere you go. So, let's go with something, let's go with a question about the holidays. So, okay, here you go. Tell me the holidays celebrated or featured in Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. Tell me each of the holidays that are celebrated or featured or seen in Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. And I'll give you until Saturday, November 16th, that's next Saturday, at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. You can once again email your answers to me at lou at wdwradio.com. Have fun and good luck. Stomp your feet and try to keep right with them. One short thing the bear band's got is real A few weeks ago, I mentioned that the WDW Radio Show was nominated for the People's Choice Award for Best Travel Podcast 2008 over at podcastawards.com. And I meant it when I said, and I hate to sound corny by saying this, that it really was an honor to be nominated, especially next to so many other great shows. And big congratulations go to Van over at the Netcot Podcast, who is the only other Disney podcast that was a finalist out of the more than 1,800 shows that were nominated. But the results have just come in, and they were announced live over at the Podcast Awards website, and I'm proud and honestly humbled to say that the show was the winner in the Best Travel category for 2008, 
And I mean it when I say that I share this with all of you, because without your listening and support and going out to vote every day for the past couple of weeks, obviously this would not have happened. And I really do hope that this small recognition, thanks to you, is going to help make more people aware of the online Disney community and the so many other wonderful shows that are out there. And I think this really is a testament to the size and the strength of our community of Disney fans and just how supportive you all are. And again, I sincerely appreciate you listening and voting. And thanks to all of you, my friends, for listening each and every week and for voting for the show. Because certainly this would not have happened without you. Before I end the show this week, I want to say thank you once again to all of you for taking the time and tuning in. Thanks also to Glenn Whalen from Passamaquoddy for joining me on the Nemo segment. And thanks to Becky Mankin from Mouse Fan Travel for helping out with the emails. Don't forget that if you have any questions about the new offers from Disney, you can contact Becky directly or any of her agents over at Mouse Fan Travel. You can visit our homepage at WDW Radio for a link or just go and visit MouseFanTravel.com. Of course, I also want to say thanks to everybody that wrote in an email or called in with a voicemail. And if you have a question you want read on the air, email me at lou at wdwradio.com. And if you want to be heard on the air, you can call the new toll-free voicemail line at 1-888-703-2171. I'd love for you to call in with feedback, comments, suggestions, or just call from the parks to rub it in that you're on the TTA and I'm not. Last couple of quick updates. Be sure and visit DisneyWorldTrivia.com. There you can still get my signed Walt Disney World trivia books, the audio guide CDs, the new page-a-day trivia calendar, which, like I said, is selling out quickly. So if you want one for the holidays, get them now before they're gone. I'm happy to say that everybody's been telling me they've been getting their first issue of Celebrations Magazine this past week. If you haven't gotten it yet, I apologize for the delay. It's been in the hands of the Postal Service, but it should be there any day now. And if you don't get it, by all means, please email me. I'll make sure that you do. If you haven't subscribed, you can over at celebrationspress.com. And if you still want to go back, get the first issue, you can also purchase that one from the site as well. And don't forget that much like this show, we want you to be a part of Celebrations Magazine. So we're looking for you to submit your photos for inclusion in the magazines. And if you have a question, a comment, something you'd like to see covered, send a letter to the editor, that's Tim and me, you can send those to lou at wdwradio.com. I also mentioned last week that if you want a copy of the Magic Meets 2008 recap DVD, you can go get that over at videoears.com. Jamie Kersey, who shot the video, did an awesome job. He's also running a special. You get 20% off the list price, so it's just $19.99 plus shipping and handling. Of course, these and other links and specials from some of our partners like All-Star Vacation Homes and Owner's Locker are always on the website in the show notes over at wdwradio.com. And finally, to talk about the show with other listeners, please visit the forums over at disneyworldtrivia.com. We are approaching 30,000 members as part of a very fun, very friendly, very welcoming community over there. I invite you to come by and join 
As always, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Tell others about it. Review us on iTunes. Come over and say hi on Facebook. Follow my updates over on Twitter. You'll find all those links in the show notes as well. And of course, my friends, thanks again for taking some time to join me this week on the show. I really do appreciate it. I hope you all have a great week. So until next time, I'll see ya. Hey, Lou. Um, this is uh, one of your listeners, a first-time caller. I just want to let you know that uh, I listened to your show in uh, around uh, in August, one of your shows in June, about the Walt Disney World College program. And with some help of my other Disney-crazed uh, friends, I signed up and interviewed and auditioned, and now I'm working in, in entertainment, and we'll be down there in January. wanted to thank you, and... Uh, Keep doing the podcast. Love it. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Tim in Lawrenceville, Georgia. I did just get my Celebrations magazine yesterday, and it really does look beautiful. I haven't even gotten a chance to get into it. Just flipped the first couple of pages open, and it just looks great. I uh, also wanted to let you know how much we enjoyed the interview with uh, Justin Oh, I can't pronounce his last name. Last on um, show ninety one, and man, we're just getting more and more addicted to the show. If you if you quit making it, I don't know what we do. So keep up the great work, and uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Ariel from New Jersey. I just got done listening to your podcast with uh, with uh, Tim about the uh, top ten. And uh, I do have to say that I am part of that 0.1% that got to go in the cast entrance of the Haunted Mansion. And, you know, I, I didn't really get to see all that stuff, but it was really interesting what you were telling us. And uh, it was really cool. So keep up the good work, and uh, don't worry, I'm breaking in viewers for you, or listeners. <laughs> all right, bye. Hey, Lou, this is James from uh, Indiana, and... Uh a couple weeks ago, I think I sent you an email. Um, we suffered a, a flood um, at, the, at our house because of hurricane and severe rains in the Midwest here. And uh, we lost two boxes of souvenirs from my son's first trip to Disney World, which was in January of 2007. So uh, we just got back um, Saturday of, uh, recently from our last trip um, to Disney World this year, and we relived his entire first trip over again as this trip number two. So I just want to tell you about um, a dream team um, experience we, we experienced, which was amazing. When we checked in at our hotel at the Pop Century, um, one of the uh, cast members um, asked what we were doing here and celebrating anything special, and we told her the story of the flood and the box of the souvenirs we lost and the memories that we had left and uh, how we wanted to relive everything over again. And, um, and his autograph book was a big deal because um, we saved a lot of autographs from him. He got older, he can keep adding to them. So um, about two hours later, we got back to our room and checked in. Our luggage showed up, and the door, uh, someone knocked on the door again, and there was a gentleman, one of the uh, uh, managers of the Pop Century on the Segway, and he had three packages to deliver to us. And one of them was um, a brand-new autograph book for my son, and a bunch of colored markers and pens. And in addition to that was a plush Mickey Mouse. And uh, also, because it's the pop century, they gave us a toy that symbolized each decade um, that was represented in the uh, 
the buildings there, so it was kind of cool. It was a total surprise, and we were very excited, but it didn't stop there. Um, it was about Thursday. It was Wednesday night, actually. We had a couple messages on our phone. We got back after uh, dinner with some uh, family members who were in town, and uh, it was from the front desk saying, come and check with us. We have a surprise for you. And I did, and they gave us instructions on Thursday morning. We were to be at the front gate of Epcot by 8.45 in the morning, and they gave us a sign with our name on it. So we went to Epcot. We actually got up at 6 in the morning and got there real early. We were there by 8.45. One of the uh, managers of Epcot named Mario came and met us and said, okay, follow me. And we didn't know what we were doing, but we followed him anyway into the park. And they were already letting guests inside. We got as far as the rope. Um, where it was right past Spaceship Earth before they released the rope. Um, it was about 10 minutes till 9 o'clock. And he said, okay, come under the rope with me. And as we walked under the rope, they announced on a loudspeaker that our family was the family of the day in Epcot. And um, the next thing I knew, my wife and I were looking at each other. Our jaws were dropped to the ground, and we had no idea what this means. But we noticed we were on the other side of the rope, and there was a test track vehicle in front of us. And over to the left, coming from uh, one of the buildings, were all the um, five characters, Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Pluto, and Goofy. And they were running um, right towards us, all by ourselves. And my son, who is just about turn three, was jumping up and down, grabbed Mickey by the leg, gave a big hug, high-five everyone. They took lots of pictures. Um, we were basically just spinning. Everyone was introducing themselves to us. And then... Uh, this lady named Cecilia from the Dream Team um, came over and she introduced herself and said she was assigned our family for half of the day. And whatever we wanted, it was on her and she was going to take us around and make us special guests. So we got some uh, Disney buttons that say we were honorary citizens. Um, we got a certificate saying the family of the day for Epcot and the date on it, which was uh, October 22nd, 2008. And we got some exclusive backstage um, looks at some of the rides. We got to ride um, Soren, Test Track, Mission Space, uh, Nemo, and even Turtle Talk with Crush um, with no weight. We went right to the front of all the lines. Um, in Mission Space and Test Track, we got to go into the uh, cast member areas where we see how the rides are operated. They gave us um, Let Us Take Pictures. And uh, also, um, they gave us some refreshments. Um, they bought us breakfast. Um, they gave my son a, another plush um, Mickey Mouse doll. Uh, we got a few extra little souvenirs along the way. And all day long, people were spotting us in Epcot saying, oh, you were the family of the day, a hot sighting. And they were clapping. And I swear people were taking pictures of us. But um, later that evening, um, we thought the day was over. But Cecilia uh, informed us that we also had um, prime viewing location reserved for us for illuminations that evening. Um, with refreshments. So um, just before 9 o'clock, it was about 8.30-ish. Um, my son and I and my wife went back to the room. She was a little overwhelmed by everything, and um, she needed to take a nap. So my son and I stayed up. We went to our prime spot. They told me to invite anyone I wanted. I invited all my family that was in town, and we had a uh, fantastic ending to a amazing day. So uh, that's our story. We experienced uh, a lot that week. That was one of the most um, magical moments for us. But it truly made everything come back together, and we have all those souvenirs all over again, and no longer will I place them in cardboard boxes on the ground. So just wanted to pass that along, and um, enjoy the show, and I'll be listening to uh, you in the future for our next trip next year.
Well, folks, this concludes our show. So thanks for bearing with us to the bare end and barrel around to see us again. What do you say, Sammy? I say, y'all come back, you hear? Well, I think we did just fine. You would. If you two don't straighten up, I'm going to pull a plug on both of you. Now say goodbye. So long, everybody. everybody.